email marketing is just the most, like to me, it's one of the critical things that every business needs to do and every business does it. And the thing is, it's really easy, like, right, to feel like it's dead because you're like, well, I have YouTube, I have Instagram, I have messenger marketing, which gets incredible open rates. But all of that is like, you don't own the traffic still. Hello everyone and welcome to CEO Journals with me your host Ethan Bridge. On today's episode you have the pleasure of listening to Lewis Fawcett. After dropping out of university Lewis became a partner in the jewellery company Patrick Adair Designs and has become a master in email marketing. Lewis is very intelligent and is extremely passionate about what he does. He's managed to build an extremely successful e-commerce business and consult on over one million dollars in email marketing revenue. In today's episode, we talk about the importance of building a brand, how to increase email open rates, how to maximize conversions from emails, how to create a killer email funnel, and so, so much more. I can't express enough how much value is packed into this next hour, so listen and take note. Without further ado, let's dive straight into today's episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. Today on the show, I have Lewis. Lewis, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I am superb. Had a good day and now we're on a call, so couldn't ask for more. So for the listeners that haven't heard of you before, if you just want to give us a quick 60 second introduction of who you are and what you do. Um, my name is Lewis Fawcett and I'm a professional business strategist is how I like to say it. And so I helped one of my friends in college go from being like a really small YouTuber to owning a multi-million dollar e-commerce business. And then the connections that's given me, I just help other people like entrepreneurs and influencers set up their businesses to be successful with things like good operations management strategy and sustainable marketing initiatives. Incredible introduction. That's what we like to hear. And I can't wait to dive into more of that as we get on in the episode. But the way I like to start all my episodes is to throw it back with my guests and ask them about their time at school. So let's focus on 15-year-old Lewis. How did you find school? Were you straight A student or did you find school quite difficult? Um, I was definitely a straight A student. I like I was really good at school. I got a 33 on my ACT which like it's at a 36. So I think that's like 95th percentile. Um, I graduated with a 3999. I got one A minus and one quarter all of high school. Um, When I went to college, I didn't finish college, but I was on track to graduate summa cum laude. So like school was definitely one of those things I excelled at. So you didn't finish. Why not? I didn't. um, So it's kind of a, I'm going to try to shorten it down. So I played, I played college rugby. Yep. And so I got injured um, a lot. I had a lot of concussions. And a big part of the reason I was at the university I was at was to play rugby. And so I was also doing research. Um, I was a physics student, so I was doing MRI research. And I got to like fly around the country and present it. And I'd always told everyone I wanted to get a PhD in physics and do research. But I ended up in kind of like a bad place in my life where I had to 
medically retire from rugby because I wasn't healthy enough to play anymore. And then I threw like all the effort I had into research and I was like really excelling at it, but I hated it. And so it was just like, oh crap, this is the thing I've been working for forever. And I don't know if I like it. And so what I was like, I was like, oh, I'll just go to medical school because I was doing medical research and I really liked the medicine side of it. And from there, it, was, it made a lot of sense, but I was just like doing the math. I was like, okay, so I'm going to make my first like doctor check won't come in until I'm probably 31, 32. And so I was really discouraged. And that just happened to be when I started working with my friend and I worked with him for a summer in between semesters and coming back into class. This is actually one of my favorite stories is I, you know, like I had already been like looking into like, what if I defer and I just work for a year? Cause I'm gonna have to get student loans and I don't know what I want to do with my life. And like, it doesn't make sense to get student loans and then be like, Oh crap. I hate, I just paid $12,000 to get this education, but I don't want to do it. And so I was like looking into the process already and I'm sitting in a organic biology lecture. It might've been evolution and diversity, just like some kind of biology lecture. I'm with about a hundred other students and my friend literally calls me on the phone. I answer it and he's like, Hey, um, no one can do the work you were doing this summer. None of us knew what you actually did. Like, so we don't know how to do it and we need people. Cause like, how are we going to ship our orders out and stuff? Um, if you drop out of college right now, I'll give you this percentage of my company and this salary. And I answered the phone and talked on the phone in the lecture and then just hung up and walked off of campus and never went back. And did that feel good? Um, it really did. It was like, it was weird. Cause like, like I said, school was like what I excelled at. So I had like applied to a lot of like the really nice schools and been recruited to play rugby for them. And so like, like Stanford, Harvard, MIT, and then I ended up going to the University of Utah because it had a top 10 rugby program. And like, I, some of those schools I didn't get into. And so the, like, you know, there's still a tier below. There's a big difference between like a good college and then like the, your state school, you know? Yeah. And so like I had, school had always been my thing, but it was really weird. That was like one of the moments in my life where like I made a decision and I just immediately felt like, okay, this is the right one. Like I can always go back later. Yeah. When I figure it out. And then it obviously turned out really well. So like super, super glad for that. Were you nervous though? That to be to initially? I I was pretty nervous because like I was set up really well. Um I was a junior in college. I was going into my junior year and I um it still hasn't been like officially published yet, but like I have a submitted manuscript to like a physics journal, like where PhDs get published. Um, and like I had my research lab had flown me around the country to like present my research. And so like, I was pretty much set that like, even if I didn't get into like the best medical school, like I wasn't one of the kids who was going to have to like be worried about getting into medical school because just, I had some things on my resume that like most people don't get until they have a master's degree or a PhD. And so it was like, I gave up like a really safe path, you know, like yeah. even if I had just gotten a PhD. Like I was guaranteed to be able to get a job at the University of Utah Medical School doing MRI research and, you know, just making like a hundred, $120,000 a year. Like, if, of course it wouldn't happen when I'm this young, I would have been like 28 by the time it like everything came through, but it was definitely giving up a safe path. And so I had a lot of anxiety over it. Of course, but obviously that risk paid off. 
So have you always been entrepreneurial, even from a young age? Were you the kid in the playground that was selling sweets and chocolate to their friends? Were you flipping stuff on eBay? Have you always been entrepreneurial or did it start from your friend's business that you helped him out in the summer? I've always, I wouldn't say I've always been entrepreneurial, but I've always been sales oriented. So like I was always the, so like I wasn't like going out to just try and make money and like coming up with the schemes like, oh, I'm going to buy candy and I'm going to sell it. But I was definitely the kid who like, I'd have a laptop, like I'd get a laptop for Christmas and I'd take my old laptop and I'd go to all my uncles and I would like, I'd be like, let's make a deal. Okay. This is worth $60. I'll give it to you for 50. And you know, they'd be like, no, no, I'll do 40. And so then I'd be like, okay, I'll think about it. And then I'd go to like my next uncle and be like, let's make a deal. You know? Yeah. I'd be like, they'd be like, oh, I'll do, I'll do 35. And I'm like, oh, he's already doing 40. You're going to have to do 45. And so I was, I was definitely like salesy when I got the chance, but I wasn't out there looking for big, like entrepreneurial opportunities. That being said, I didn't actually, I was a tutor in high school. So I guess that's kind of entrepreneurial, but like, yeah, I wasn't necessarily great at getting clients. So no, do you think this sales background came from anyone in your family in particular, or do you just think you were naturally gifted with it? I think I was naturally gifted it's just like i was talking to my old um preschool teacher the other day actually and i've just always been like a people's person who just likes to like schmooze people for lack of a better word and it really like it really helps me in business especially like when you're working with influencers and like they're like oh i want to deal with crockpot i want to deal with this you know like you just get someone on the phone you start talking and you you make it the best it can be for both parties but back to that so in preschool i used to take my preschool teacher's phone when her dad would call. And so like, this is like a 40, 50 year old man calling the preschool. And I would just take the phone and talk to him. And just, cause I wanted him to be my friend cause he was cool. Cause he had a phone and was calling people. <laughs> and so like, to this day, he still remembers who I am. And like, I'm old enough that like, I don't really remember that, you know, I was like three or four, but so I definitely like, it's been around for longer than I can remember. No, for sure. And you're obviously a very people-orientated person. You've got excellent social skills. So that obviously has translated well when you have gone into business because you have obviously been able to get those initial clients and just maintain relationships, which is great. Um, so this first business you had with your friends, he's given you, you've been at college, he's called you, said no one, no one can do this job as good as you, leave now, I'll give you a salary and percentage of the company. Tell the listeners a little bit about this company, what it actually is and what you actually do for them. All right. So I am, and I still am to this day, the chief operations officer of Patrick Adair Designs. And so our company is, um, it's got two big parts. There's a production element because our CEO is a YouTuber. And so he has 650,000 subscribers and he just makes videos about designing cool things like a DIY makers channel. And then to go along with that, we have another arm of our company that is sales oriented where we sell the products he designs. So we have a manufacturing facility in Salt Lake City, Utah. All of our products are handmade in that facility and then they're shipped across the country and the world. We have customers in most places in the world right now. And then it's just an e-commerce jewelry website. And so if you've ever heard of like David Yerman, who makes some pretty cool jewelry. We're kind of like, we're, that's kind of like our niche is like David Yerman style jewelry that's handmade in America. 
So you obviously say that the the CEO, the founder, your friend, has a big following, and the company itself. I've seen them on Instagram. They've got a big following as well. How did you guys manage to build up this brand for yourselves? How did you manage to gain this following? So I would say it went through three or four different phases. So the first phase, when he started it, it started as a Kickstarter and it only raised $5,000. But between him just like hustling, like this is before, like we were friends in high school, but like I remember him doing this. And so he was like, he was just doing the stuff like he would follow and unfollow people. He would just DM like some thousand followers. He'd DM and be like, dude, I've got this Kickstarter. It's really sick. Will you go back it? He would, he gave a whole bunch of us like, a hundred of us or something like that, a dollar and said, just go back it for a dollar. Cause the fact that like one of the rankings is how many people's backed it. So if I can get it to higher up on that, it'll have like more natural discovery. Who's doing all that stuff. And so that led him to have a pretty good Instagram following. And we actually went to college together too. That's where we became much closer friends. And at college, he was just using his Instagram following. He would be like, he just post, Hey, I'm going home for the weekend to make a ring. Um, like bid on it and the highest whoever offers the most money I'll design them a custom ring and I'll call you I'll call the winner on Friday at 6 p.m. and we'll discuss what you want and so like for a long period of that time he'd be working for like three dollars an hour but it'd be really like he was just having a lot of fun yeah. and then when he realized he's like and so that's kind of like the first part and then the second part is he realized he's like if I start filming these I could put them on YouTube and then I don't have to like follow and unfollow people and it really helped him kind of skip the hardest part of YouTube, you know, which is like the first like thousand, 2000 subscribers, because once you have some subscribers, it's like, there's a search engine, it's an algorithm. It'll start to promote. You can, your videos start to get promoted, but until you have viewers, like no one can know if your videos are good. So the algorithm tests it with like five people at a time. And a lot of people look and they're like, this video has zero views. It can't be good. I'm not gonna click on it. Like, yeah. Um, and so that was the second phase and it started to grow on YouTube. And that's when I got involved was he was having an issue where it was a one man operation. And he just was like stuck in a cycle of like, I can't make content cause I need to make orders and I can't make orders cause I need to make content. And so I came in and I helped him streamline his order process. So I helped him make a new website. And then I was also making some orders initially, but then it became a thing of like, Oh, we need, and we're growing faster because we were doing a really good job of positioning ourselves in the YouTube market by collaborating with bigger channels by just like, we would just reach out to them and we'd make deals that were really good for them in the sense of like, Hey, here's this ring. We sell it for a thousand dollars. Like if you want to go buy one on the internet, that's not made by us. It's still a thousand dollars. We'll give, you guys three. So like we'll get both hosts a ring and your camera guy ring. If we can do a video with you and we'll put a discount code in the video and anyone who buys one of our rings will give you 20% of the sale. And so we just do stuff like that, like just making deals. And that let us grow pretty quickly once that started happening. And so then it was a quickly became a thing of it's like, Oh, we need two people down here making rings, not just one but we also need someone to like process the orders coming in and come up with a system to get like an order from the site to the people in the shop, get a finished product upstairs, inspected, shipped out the door and handle and customer support had to be handled. And so that's the stuff I started taking over immediately. And that was kind of the second stage was 
just a lot of natural organic growth on YouTube doing really well. We were getting like, we were having videos that would go viral and get a million views in a week, you know? And that's where I really got like my operations management, like degree if I had one. And it was just the fact that it's like, we'd sell $18,000 of rings one month. Then the next month we'd sell 36,000. Then the next month we'd sell 70,000. And so it was just like, we were growing so fast because of the virality of YouTube that we had to create systems that worked. And so like, that was pretty much what I did full time was just, okay, how are we going to create the order system? Um, how are we going to create the customer service system? How are we going to do fulfillment? How are we going to do inspections? How can we change this? How can we make videos better? Um, and then the third phase, which like was when we started doing more traditional marketing. And so that's where, that's where I like discovered my passion for email marketing. And because we had been just doing a ton of Gleam giveaways, which if you know what, are familiar with YouTube, it's just Gleam was just a platform that you could like link in videos and it'd be like, oh, we're doing a giveaway. If you want to enter, like us on Facebook, that gives you one entry. Follow us on Instagram, that gives you another entry. Subscribe on YouTube, give us your email, blah, 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 blah. And so we had been doing that during that period of virality, but we had never touched the emails. And so what happened is I started experimenting with the emails and we would just, we just found out, we're like, holy shoot, we can send an email and make $5,000 in a day because yeah. we have so many emails of just customers. And we started like figuring out that strategy. And because we were still in that stage of like designing systems and building them out for about six to eight months, we paid an agency to do our email marketing for us. And that was one of like the, that was like a critical moment for me because what it helped me learn was I got to watch um, the company we paid was mute six. They just got acquired for $250 million. And so like, I got to watch the job being done by like industry leaders. And so it gave me like a degree in email marketing, basically, you know, cause like a lot of people, you know, just like they're paying an agency, they just pay, forget about it. And they go, Oh, it works really well. Like I don't have to worry about it. I would like, I'd go home at night and I would just study every single thing they were doing and be like, okay, how can we do this better? how can we do this better? And then I'd come back with ideas and then it just became a thing eventually where like I was so passionate about it. It didn't make sense to pay them. And then from there, we also started using them for our paid Facebook advertising. And now we do Google advertising and we do that in house. And so that's kind of like the current stage we're in where now we're like much more established as like we have a, so we have social media channels, we have paid channels, we have organic channels, we have email channels. And that's kind of where we are now is just doing all the, traditional stuff on top of that original social media for sure and email marketing is definitely something i'm going to dive into but i have one more question on this business that i am actually really curious about because at the moment drop shipping is huge and for every single person every single new person that comes into the drop shipping game thinking it's going to be a get rich quick scheme their initial thought is to go down the route of rings and accessories the cheapest thing they can find on aliexpress dirt cheap and thinking they can flip it for 19 20 dollars how do you separate yourselves from all of these drop shippers because there must be an incredibly competitive industry now do you think it's just for the sole fact that you're you've built the brand for yourselves and that you've got all of these social platforms you've got the email list behind you that you 
it puts you way above everyone else? Or are there certain other things that you implement to make sure you stay above all of these competitors? I mean, there's a few things. So firstly, we have products that some people can't compete with, like, and um, I'll give you an example. You don't post the video, correct? This is just an audio podcast? Yep. Okay, so no, your viewers won't be able to see this, but I'll show you. I'll show you this. And so this is a product we sell that like any dropshipper could sell, actually. It's one of our like lowest tier products. This is a pendant made out of meteorite. And so what you do is you buy, we buy slabs of meteorite and get it cut by factories. And yeah. then we hand assemble the casing and the necklace. But there are factories in China that just do that entire process for you. And you can just buy the pendant. But what they can't compete on is the respect and authority we have as a brand. And that's yeah. really what it is. It's the branding play. And um, I actually know people who could, who like their business model is drop shipping, but I'm not a huge fan of like the, and like, it obviously works. Like these people make way more money than me, but like Jared gets or whatever, the guy who's always in front of that Lamborghini Gallardo or whatever. <laughs> and his ads all over Facebook, like obviously he's making a lot of money. It's working that the people I know succeeding, really succeeding in e-commerce, not like, not like, Oh, it cash flows. And then I have this really big coaching empire behind me are building brands. And so some of them are still drop shipping, but they're doing like, they're coming up with like a couple products that work really well. And then, you know, turning it, creating a story around it. Why are they different? And that's really what we have is like the ability that a lot of our customers are like, I watched this kid make a ring on YouTube. That was the first time I saw it. I watched it handmade. He designed it. He explained what he, why he does everything, how he does it. And then all of a sudden, oh, so I went to his website and it was really cool. It was really expensive. And then like, oh, a few days later, I saw a retargeting ad that, showed some of the rings I hadn't even checked out and like they're really crazy and I don't have any of on me but like we just have rings that the fact they're handmade is like critical to them getting made in general and so you can't you the only way to mass produce them would be to like sweatshop assembly line in Indonesia or something and no one would be able to have the exact quality we do because of that yeah um without charging similar prices to us. And so that's why we can get away with those prices. It's literally just, we've created the value around the brand. For sure. So branding is key. Yeah. And so for anyone that is into drop shipping or is thinking of starting drop shipping, obviously it's an, it's a good start and it does work. Like it is a business model that does work. It will always work. It's been around for ages, but it's just blowing up recently but it's not something that's going to be sustainable forever. If you're going to get a product going, you need to build a brand around it. Otherwise it's never going to get, it's not going to have any longevity. Exactly. Like dropshipping, like the fulfillment method, like, yeah, that's amazing. Like I, I a hundred percent agree with that. Like, I think it's an amazing fulfillment method and it's very similar. All of our products are made to order. So we like, that's how I know people can do dropshipping with just really solid branding is like, Every single one of our products, shipping times makes drop shipping shipping times look lightning quick. You know, like we have products that don't ship for 10 weeks. Yeah. That cost $1,200. And it's a bit like 
it's all about the branding. And so I think that's the thing that a lot, and like, because it works, right? Like you can come up with like, you can ride the wave of just being a good marketer and advertiser and come up with catchy products, advertise them on Facebook, sell them. And then, oh, okay, this one's not catchy anymore. So I'm going to change to the next one. But I think there's, I've also seen people out there doing the same thing, but they're taking the products and creating brands around them while they're doing it. And then even though like they can know, they can't spend, you know, $200,000 a month at a 1.5 ROI and make a hundred thousand dollars a month anymore, they still can spend $30,000 and make $50,000 because the branding's there and it becomes more of like a permanent product. For sure. And that's exactly it. And I couldn't agree more. Um, so now I want to dive back into the email marketing because that's something super interesting. We've had no one talk about it so far. So you've consulted on around one, $1 million in revenue for email marketing campaigns. And for those that think email marketing's the past, they, they struggle getting high open rates, high click-through ratios and conversions from their emails. What are your thoughts on email marketing? So my- How... How, how, value, how valuable are they to your business and, you, and yourself within your consulting that you started alongside? Email marketing is just the most, like to me, it's one of the critical things that every business needs to do and every business does it. And the thing is, it's really easy, like, right, to feel like it's dead because you're like, well, I have YouTube, I have Instagram, I have messenger marketing, which gets incredible open rates, but all of that is like, you don't own the traffic still, you know? And it's like, that's the big thing. That's actually what we learned is, so around December of, that would have been 2017, we had a video go like really viral. Like, I mean, it got probably 7 million views in the first 30 days. It probably sold $150,000 of product on that video alone. Just one video going viral. And then we got to ride like a wave because, you know, it doesn't, you still have all that hype. So all of our videos are getting three times as many views as normal, four times as many views, five times, whatever. And then all of a sudden around April of 2018, it came crashing down, you know, like our videos, our views were back to like on par with what they should have been and what they normally were. And because we had all those orders, we had to, we basically had to create a machine like a business that could operate at that scale. And all of a sudden all those orders are gone. But because we had email marketing and traffic we owned, we could figure it out. You know, we could be like, okay, let's, let's really strategize. Let's think, how can we create orders? Cause like one of my biggest things <clears throat> is I'm very like people first and I never want to have to lay off an employee, you know, like, so if we're like in a slow month, I would rather, sell rings for 0% profit that have work for employees to do and money to pay employees than lay off an employee and pay myself an extra $5,000, $10,000 that month, you know? Yeah. Just cause like, that's what I like to do. And so email marketing has been like the biggest thing that lets us do that. And I mean, we drive probably, we're a little on the high end cause like we aren't, we are a little weirder as a brand and don't do as much like we have a lot of success with paid, but it makes up less of a like portfolio of our revenue than a lot of e-commerce brands. But our email marketing is probably 30 to 35% of our revenue a year. And I can confidently tell you that like 
if you have an e-commerce brand and you're not getting 20 to 25% email marketing revenue, like you're leaving money on the table, that's like industry standard. You should be able to get, if you're making a million dollars through like Facebook advertising and organic social media, you should be able to make another 200,000, $250,000 a year through your email marketing if it's set up correctly. That's incredible. And obviously you're having great success through that. So for the listeners that are struggling with email marketing, do you have any tips for them to increase their open rates and any subject text that you can, any key like conversion, like little tips you have? Yeah. So I think, I mean, this is going to be like a really loaded answer. It's not a, it's not a like win now answer. It's a set yourself up to win forever. And the key is you need to test. And what I think you should do is right. Like build out that avatar of who your customer is. And for like some companies, your customer might be yourself. And so that's really easy. Um, I like to subscribe to my, to brands that have similar avatars, like similar customer bases and look at their subject lines. But the key is to test them and to try to write a subject line that you'd actually open if you were that avatar. Like, and that's the key is, I'll see people like I'll work with people who are like their, their websites make them a lot of money. And so they're not uh, like, they'll have like a recipe website where their customer's avatar is like the 25 year old newlywed trying to learn how to like make meals for their spouse and like make a home, you know, and the owner of the company's actually like mid thirties, multimillionaire, you know? And so they're like, oh, here's like a subject line that I think is really cool. And it's like, okay, but like you went to four years of like Ivy League education. Like, let's, let's take that away. You know, like, let's find what do your customers think? And it's like, oh, let's just put the recipe title in. Works yeah. incredibly well for her website. She puts, we just put re- like, there's recipes in every email because it's a recipe website. We put the name of the recipe in the subject line for every email, even if we're talking about like, even if it's kind of like a weekly newsletter that's going to talk about this new product launching on the site or whatever, there's still always a recipe in it. And we still put like, you know, home cooked lasagna with and chef's knives exclamation point or something like for our, for like Patrio design, we have like the luxury of a lot of our email list is like, 18 to 25 year old males and so like i gotta have a lot of fun with that because i just gotta come up with like like silly stupid things you know of like one of them like one of our most successful emails to date as far as open rate was we sent it out right around when stranger things came out season three and the subject line was stranger rings and super simple and then yeah super simple and then just like for our image i had our photographer and graphic designer create a retro 80s themed like it was one of those like neon grids like if you've ever seen the miami heat city jerseys or anything like that like it was kind of that style but i think the key for especially for subject lines is to like build an idea of what you think your customer wants to see and then start testing so like you know um depending on what your platform is you should be able to a and b test and it's like that's i would recommend doing it that way but also just making little changes from week to week of like, oh, I really like this format. So like one format I personally really like and that I'm looking forward to testing is 
Gucci sends all of their email newsletters and like product announcements and everything. Um, their subject lines are 90% just adjective plus noun. So like, it'll be like reflective aviators. Um, I'm trying to think I had a list. I wish I would have thought to bring it with me because um, this, and then like one of them, something like luxury shades, you know, just stuff like that. Yeah. And what I realized is like, it really piqued my interest because none of it told you exactly what the product was. Like all the nouns were yeah. a little, they're a little ambiguous. And so like, that's one that I am really excited to try for physical product companies that I work with throughout the next 30 days. Cause it was really getting my attention. Cause I would click on it. Cause like, you know, it's like, Oh, rough. I think it was reflective active wear. That's what that one was. And I was like, what the freak is reflective active wear, you know? Yeah. And I click on it and it's just like a shiny jacket. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Back. And then but you still opened it. But yeah, I still opened it. And then the shades one was the same way. Cause like, I knew it was some kind of sunglasses in there, but like, yeah. I was like, what is, what is that? Like, you know, clicked it and I looked, I'm like, Oh, these are sick. And then I went and looked at them on their website. And then I was like, okay, let's be a little fiscally responsible today and not spend that much money on sunglasses. <laughs> couldn't quite justify it on that yeah. day. Yeah, on that on on most days, on most, <laughs> most days, you couldn't be able to justify it. Yeah, I completely understand. Um, so let's take a different stance on it slightly. So a lot of I've met a few of my listeners are new agency owners. So for their client acquisition and their emails, do you suggest a funnel through which they consistently provide value on? So say for a social media agency. On the first email, they just provide value on how to improve social media. Next email, how to start a podcast, different things on different social channels and how they can improve their business. And then eventually hit them with the, let's set up a meeting, let's set up a call, we can help you with all of this. Or do you have a perfect email template to get that call on the first email? So I... I mean, I'm glad you answered this question because it gives me a chance to shamelessly self-promote. So if you go to newsletter.thedigitalageentrepreneur.com forward slash CEO journals, you can look at my opt-in that I use. And what I like to do is exactly what you're saying. You provide value. And then the thing that I've seen really helps me is I put a meeting on the thank you page. You can set up a Calendly meeting with me. And that gets the people who are interested or like, I get to people who are immediately interested a chance just like, Oh yeah, I want to set up a call. I want to talk like, what's it like to work with you? What's the cost? Blah, 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 blah. But then the people who are like, no, I just thought you had some really cool information. It lets me nurture them. Cause like, that's, that's really how you get that respect and authority we were talking about earlier is you nurture the customer through your, so like through your email flow, through your social media, the entire thing is like, they're aware of my brand and how do I get them to like me enough to buy? And so like, if you're an agency or something, it's usually you help, you provide enough value that for free or a consultant, you provide enough value for free that they're like, okay, this is cool. This is cool. They know what they're talking about. Wow. These people, like they're the bomb. These are the people I need helping me because they know way more than I do. And like the tips and tricks or whatever they gave me helped a ton so i can't imagine what they're not telling me because they charge for it you know so is that you speaking from experience and how you got your initial clients as well yeah exactly so like i 
I take a lot of like free 30 minute strategy hour strategy sessions where I'll just like chat with someone and see if like see what I can do to help and see if it's a good fit for them to work with me. And it works. I mean, like the, I don't keep track of like close rate or anything. Cause like, I'm not good <laughs> for whatever, you know, I'm not, I'm lacking in that department, but um, it works out really well because I have tons of people now who just know they're like, okay, he's the one I come talk to. If I have this issue, he's the one I come talk to. If I have this issue, and you also have to like let people know sometimes like, yeah, I can't do this for free though. Like they'll ask you a question like, oh, here's my 30 second answer. If you want me to really explain how I would do it or like teach you how to do it, like it's going to take, it's going to take hours of my time. Like that's not free. And so like, you have to be like firm and let them know that. But providing value is the key thing. Like that's really, that's what set me apart in the space I'm in is I was doing like, I was like speaking at events that aren't like pitch events or anything. Like I was speaking at events that are just conferences for like YouTubers and influencers to go to, to learn how to monetize better. And I would just speak and I didn't even have a product. I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about consulting. I just was giving back. Cause like it was fun. <clears throat> and then I would, people would come up to me in the halls and they'd ask me questions and I just sit there and help them. And those are the people now that pay me lots of money to help them. You know, is they're like, Oh, like I didn't even know they were big. I just knew they're like, Oh, they're asking me questions about like, how would you use Pinterest to capture emails? And I was like, Oh, this is kind of what I would do. And just like thinking it through with them. And then a few days later they emailed me and they're like, Hey, you're going to work with me in three to five months when I have time. And I just like laughed it off. You know, I was like, Oh yeah, that's probably a joke. And then like three to five months came around and I got a call and that was how I got my first client, you know? For sure. And is this something you do on your own or have you got a team around you? my I primarily do it on my own I have a team that they do the like like I have a team I don't do a lot of the design work you know I don't do yeah, yeah. the html work but they're not like a full-time team it's just like um staff I have access to and some of the work I do like because of the way our my relationship with Patrick is set up he has multiple companies and I own interest in all of them but so do other people. And the, those interests aren't always a hundred percent the same. So we actually do have a media like marketing agency that operates mm-hmm. behind the scenes to do all the work for like all of our own companies. That's how it, that way we don't have to have like two video editors, you know, we can yeah. just have, or like have them getting two different paychecks. It's like, no, each company just pays a fee. He pays it out. And so that's where I get my team from is from that company that like they don't full-time work for, me on other people's stuff if that makes sense pretty convenient if you ask me no yeah it's (laughs) so but is this something you want to grow and eventually this be your complete and sole passion you want this you want this to be your business this is something you want to have a team behind you day in day out doing everything for you yeah exactly that's kind of my goal with the consulting and it also just helps because like you get stuck when you own your own business. That's like high income generating. And not that it's like, you know, like I'm not like making millions a year or anything. I just mean like, like I make way more than a 22 year old needs to make to have a great life. Um, where you're like, Oh, I don't want to like, of course you're constantly growing as a business owner, but just like you get stuck in the job aspect of it, of like, 
oh, I do these three tasks every week. These are my tasks. Whereas like when I'm consulting it, like it's always new, you know, like you're always coming up with a strategy, meeting with people, and then you get to really help them come to the next level. But then once it gets like implemented and starts to work, you don't have to sit around and be like, okay, well now this is my life for the next six months. I'm just like, five hours a day of doing this task. It's like, no, their team's doing the task and you got to move on to the next exciting problem, you know? For sure. And I completely understand. You've dropped some incredible value in the time we've been speaking so far, but there are three questions that I ask all my guests on three topics that I don't think are spoken about enough. And that's why I like to ask them. So these topics are money, relationships, and death. Death, I know, sounds a bit morbid, <laughs> but this... I get some fantastic answers. So that we'll get to that when it comes to it. But the first question in relation to money is what does the word success mean to you? Um, I actually, I had a conversation about this last night. I'm pretty, I stability. Like I would like to know, like that's the scary thing about being a business owner is like, Oh, we could, the economy could crash and no one could buy rings. And one of my major sources of income is just gone, you know? So that's kind of terrifying. And so having enough money to like, invest in things like real estate and just like the stock market and have like a stable cash flowing base. And then I want to buy my parents' house because it's not paid off yet. And so I just want to be able to one day like that. I think that'd be the coolest feeling ever to just show up with like a, a fat check and just pay off their house and not even tell them, you know, just like have, have them show up be like, yeah. oh, the mortgage bill never came this month. That's really weird. Like call. They're like, Oh, someone paid it off. I think that would be sweet, you know? Really self-fulfilling as well, knowing that you've done that for your parents. Because are you close with your parents? You... I'm, I'm really close with my parents, yeah. Yeah, so they've obviously done a lot for you and being able to repay that will not only be humbling, but extremely self-fulfilling. That, to me as well, that would be an incredible thing that I would eventually love to do. Um, but that leads me quite well onto my next question re with regards to relationships. So throughout your entrepreneurial journey so far, have you found it difficult to maintain relationships with um, friends, family, significant other, or have you found ways to bring these people along on your journey with you? Um, I think it's pretty hard, but like the reason it's hard, I haven't, sometimes I have issues about like, like there's always like opportunity for like envy and thing with issues or like. I spend, like, you know, I make good money, so I spend good money sometimes, you know, like, you know, like, I go out to eat a lot, I buy, like, I buy nice clothes, I buy nice shoes, I buy a new car if I need a new car, or want a new car, you know, I, um, but, like, so I've had, like, very marginal issues with that, and, like, mainly it's just, like, you have to, like, kind of just not be a douchebag, you know, like, yeah. it's, like, you have to remember that, like, not everyone's in the same place, so you gotta, like, not try to like flaunt you know because like even though it feels really cool for like me sometimes like I had this I had a moment the other day where I had just like for whatever reason wasn't paying the closest attention to my personal finances and was feeling like oh I've spent a lot of money and then I checked my accounts I was like holy crap I have like a good amount of money in there for me and like for a lot of people like they'd be like oh that's not that much money but there's a lot of people like especially like when your friends are 22 year old like college students just joining the workforce they're like holy crap I've never seen that much money like you know and so yeah. it was like remembering that like even though I felt really good I can't go <clears throat> be like hey friend who's in their junior year of college 
I'm having a great day because I just added up all my different investment accounts and I have X amount of money in them, you know, like, yeah. don't do that. But I have, I think the hardest part is the time. Like I'm, cause like, I love to work. It's like, it's the thing I, you know, like I got home at like one, 1 AM, I think last night from a conference, um, unpacked my bags, ate, uh, worked for like half an hour, got up at 6 AM, worked again, and then took a nap. And I'm like working again, you know, like, and it's, and a lot of the work I did wasn't required to be done at that time. You know, like it didn't have a time on it of like, this is like, it wasn't because of deadlines. It was just like, oh, I thought of doing this and it's only going to take 20 minutes. I really want to do it. So I'm going to do it before I go to bed. But that really runs into issues with like personal relationships where like, I don't have as much time to like hang out with my friends, hang out with significant others. And that can definitely be strained. That can definitely be strenuous in a relationship when like, you know, most 22, 23, 24, 25 year olds are like, we're just trying to like, we go to our nine to five, we hang out after might like clean around the house, do some chores, but like got a good amount of free time. So they're expecting you to have a good amount of free time. And I work 60, 70 hours a week because I want to, because like, that's what I have a lot of fun doing it. But then like your girlfriend's like, Hey, why? Like we could hang out three more times if you would just work less and you don't have to work that much. But like, I'm really motivated and really driven to work that much, you know? So like, that's a, yeah. a hard thing to navigate sometimes. And I suppose you've got, everyone's got to think of it in a perspective that people like to spend their time doing different things. And as you say, your, your hobby is building businesses. Your, that's your hobby. That's what you want to do in your spare time. And people should understand that, yeah, they might like watching Netflix, playing on the PlayStation, going out with friends. That's their hobby, but that's not your hobby. Your hobby is wanting to build something, wanting to make more money. So I suppose it's, it's got to be reciprocal in the fact that you've got to see what other people enjoy doing. Exactly. That's like, that's really what it comes down to, but it can definitely be hard, you know? Like, yeah. And that's what she like, I'm dating a girl right now who's in college. And so she like, she's like almost as busy as I am, you know, it's just like part-time job goes to class she gets really good grades and a lot of extracurriculars but then like she's like you only have x amount of free time i want to hang out like this day this day this day and i'm like oh no i have these two things scheduled for that day and she's like well like why why are you doing that at 8 p.m you know like you don't have to do that and it's like because i really wanted to do it and that was the soonest we could get it done you know yeah and so i run into that issue a lot and it's just like but yeah it's got to be reciprocal I'm like, there's definitely a give and take of like, you have to remember too that like money and everything isn't like money's not everything. So you got to also like go out of your way to like, like I'll definitely have things like a friend comes in from out of town and I don't know they're coming in where I'll clear two days of like non vital work to spend time with them. Cause like you have to remember that it goes both ways. Kind of like you said. Yeah. And I was speaking to a guy um, yesterday, in fact, that podcast is going to be up soon, but he, he's obviously extremely busy like you, but he just said when he does have the time, it's more the quality of that time you spend with them. Like you lock your phone away, you're not on your phone, you just completely disconnect from everything else. And that time you're spending with them is 100% focused on them and nothing else. So I suppose that ups the quality and then that can balance out the lack of time that you're spending in that area. 
and that hit me i was like yeah it's a super simple thing to do and would also mean a lot to both ends of the relationship as well yeah exactly i definitely agree with things like that like just trying to trying to increase the quality is definitely a good way to counteract the lack of quantity you know yeah exactly so final question i said it was in relation to death and it is and the question is are you afraid of dying um so sometimes i explain i i get really like i get really anxious sometimes about things like that um and i'm like oh because like what happens but i'll be honest sometimes when it's like when i've had like especially like our like no starting like halfway through october through december is like the craziest time for me because like i'm still doing consulting i'm still doing all that and then we're selling like we do 40 percent of our revenue in q4 so like you know with 40%, christmas and- yeah with christmas black friday um because our products are made to order we get a big start in october on doing like you have to order right now like this is the deadline. If you don't order by this date, we will not work with you to get it out on, by Christmas. You know, like, and obviously like we say that we still work with people, but like really trying to like drive the point home that, cause like we need to make it and ship it. So like you've got to order soon. And so I'll be real. Sometimes when like I'm super stressed, I realize that I'm like, Oh, one day, like that's not as bad. Cause it's just peaceful. You know, like yeah. you get rid of all the stress. No, I like that. Um, question then, just in, not, not in relation to that, but in relation to the business near Christmas. Do you turn people down if they, order to, if they order too late and literally just tell them you're not getting it in time? Or do you try and work around it? Yeah, we, we try to work around it, but like we have the like public facing policy that like this is when it's guaranteed. First of all, for like legal reasons of like we want people to realize that like if you don't order past this date, we can't guarantee it's going to get there by Christmas because like it has to be made. We have to get it shipped. There's other customers. Like we have to take care of everyone, but we work really hard to work with customers. And like one thing we'll do is we'll often do a thing where we send a cheaper product for free. <clears throat> um, if a product's not going to get there for like a big day. So like if someone orders a wedding ring at the last minute, we'll find one of our like rings that someone can make in a significantly shorter amount of time. Yeah. Cause like, that's a big thing of like, we have some products that are lower in the skew, like lower priced skews of like, this is a $150 product and it's still handmade and everything. It's still super high quality, but it's like, we can make a ton of them and ship them really fast. And it's to get customers into the system, you know, of like not really to make profit off of them, but, just have customers coming into our system that we can give a good experience. And so a lot of the time we'll try to do things like, well, let's ship them one of those rings for free. And then we'll ship their ring when it's finished and stuff like that. I don't really oversee the exact execution of that anymore. So I'm not a hundred percent sure on how they do it, but the kid who manages that, like our operations manager who's over customer support is killer. It just like, making sure every single customer is really well taken care of. And like, we see it in our return rate. Like we have one of the lowest return rates I've ever seen for a fashion e-commerce company. And it's just cause like we pride ourselves on trying to work with customers. Like, I yeah. mean, I, I don't know how familiar you are. And like, I'm not 
like I don't have like statistics in front of me, but like, do you know what you feel like an average return rate would be on e-commerce sites just in general? Me personally, I guess. Yeah, I guess. obviously, obviously depends on the niche. I think with fashion, it'd be much higher because I'm a culprit of it. I buy stuff and return it instantly if I don't like it. I think it's one of the easiest ones to do it with. So with fashion, probably exactly. about, I'd probably say like 10% fashion's usually closer to 15 to 20 percent and like the wow. average is around 10 percent yeah. five to ten percent is just industry e-commerce average it pretty much sits somewhere five to ten percent but i can't remember the exact numbers um our site-wide yearly return percentage is under four percent that's incredible yeah and so it's just like we just like that's so like we like i say a lot of stuff and people like feel like we're like awful because of like that like oh if you don't order by christmas we won't send your or don't order by this day you're we won't send you your ring by christmas we're not going to work with you blah 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 like that's what i say behind the scenes but it's because like i'm the policy maker who's like looking at the money numbers and the numbers and then we have a really solid team who always knows that like you take care of the customer and it all works out at the end and so we do a lot of just they do like we go above and beyond to try to make sure every single customer has the best possible experience they can have and at the end of the day, that is the main thing. Exactly. You have dropped some incredible value on this episode. And I, so I can't thank you enough for joining me. So where can the listeners catch up with you on social platforms if they want to follow up with you, ask you a question? What's your Instagram? Any other social platforms you're on? Um, Instagram, Lewis, WF. Uh, that's, I'm like, I'm not super active in how I post, but I have a lot of, business associates who only talk to me through Instagram DMs. So like I see every single DM that gets sent. Um, also, like I said, that's like a real landing page. If you go to newsletter.thedigitalageentrepreneur.com forward slash CEO journals, um, that's a special email list with an offer just for this, um, just for your podcast where I actually took one of our content marketing guides that I use and teach when I go to like conferences, like, um, I'm going to speak at like CBX live. I speak at one called artisan summit in Vegas. And it's just a guide on like how we strategize our video, like our social media content to actually sell product rather than just like throwing content out there, you know, like the process we go through on each one. And that's just as a free PDF, if you sign up for that email list. And then that email list is where I like, I feel like I give a lot of some of the most value um, so like, I don't know when this is coming out, but the next email that's going to come, I'm actually going to explain the math behind how we use the value ladder system with those carbon fiber rings yep. that are cheaper priced and how we spend $12,000 to sell $12,000 worth of rings, but it makes us $60,000 by what we do behind the scenes to promote more sales. And so like, that's my, I think the place where I give like the most value and it's because there's just a lot of stuff I love talking about and I like it to, and so like, I just do it for fun and just send it out. Cause to me, it's like, isn't this the coolest thing you've ever seen? And then people are like, Oh wow. That's actually like, that's kind of interesting. And then a lot of people are like, you're a nerd. That's like, that's business. It's interesting. It helps me make more money, but that's not cool. And so, you know, for sure. And you're extremely passionate and I can tell by the way you're speaking so those those links will be in the show notes below i'm going to sign up because i want to hear that but lewis once again thank you for joining me on this episode of ceo journals thank you so much
I just wanted to thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I'll leave all the relevant links mentioned in the show notes below. That's going to include the guests and my own Instagram handle where you can reach out to us with any questions you may have. In the show notes will also be any useful resources the guest or myself may have mentioned throughout the episode, so definitely check those out. I'd really appreciate it if you hit the subscribe button. It's only going to take a couple of seconds. If you do, it means you're going to be notified whenever I post a new episode. I'd also love if you could leave your thoughts in the rating and review section. I'm going to be reading all of these and it will help me understand what all of you are actually interested in. Leaving a rating and review will also help the podcast reach even more people, which only means better guests for all you listeners. Have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you again for listening to CEO Journals.